The good news is, there's a, there's a number of good news. The good news is, if you're like, Benny, you rushed me, I still have more to pray. We're going to have an open-ended worship at the end of our service where you can go back into prayer and pray over people. If you're like, I need more prayer, in that last set of worship, if you want to come into these front rows, somebody will come and find you and pray over you, okay? What I want now is kids 18 months to 8 years old, find Lindsay. Lindsay, put your hand up. Kids Church is going to start going downstairs now. So if you want to walk on over to Lindsay, she's going to take the 18 month to 8 years old downstairs. And we're going to transition here. And while Kids Church is getting started, I've got a few announcements. If you want to take one and pass it around, I've got 45 copies of these. So if you're with somebody, go ahead and share. If you're not with somebody, go ahead and grab one. These will go around both sides and then uh, down through the middle. I just want to give a little bit more housekeeping. So um, we talked a little bit about, you know, setting boundaries with our kids, which I know is going to be a hard balance for some of us to begin with. But I think that there's a lot of people here that are going to say, thank you. Like, I can, I can focus a little better, and I think it's a good gift, okay? Um, another one of those housekeeping things, I just want to just highlight something for you, is... John and Shar, one of the things that they left is, is they handed off our church in a really good financial spot with a buffer, with, with stuff in the bank, which is such a good blessing, right? And when we met this spring, we decided, hey, you know what? We've got inflation going up, but what we also have is projects that need to get done. And we met together, we dreamed, we decided, you know what? We're going to tackle this basement project, right? So we started doing that. We had a number of other things that we were going through. We had some plumbing things that we fixed in the church uh, coffee house that's been waiting for a lot of years. And we've eaten into some of that buffer. Um, but I just want to let you guys know because, you know what, we're all in this together. I understand that everybody's been hit hard with finances. And the church is no different, right? We've had a high inflation. And with summer, tithing and giving has gone down, um, which is common, right? But also with that, it's been affected pretty much the same amount as inflation coming up. And so me saying that is just saying, hey, you know what? Right now, we're at a place where we are spending more on ministry than is coming in, and that's not alarming and that's not shocking. What it is is an opportunity for us to walk in faith, right? That's one of those things where even talking about the, the kids' church position, we were like, man, we wrestled through it, the elders and I, and we said, you know what? But we need to do this thing, right? This is a a really important part of our ministry. And so he said, you know what? If you look at just business model of just finances, you're like, well, maybe we hold off on that decision. But we don't walk by that way. We walk by faith, right? And so we're invited to walk by faith with our finances. And, and if you're like, oh, Benny is singling me out, how many times do I talk about this stuff not very frequently? In fact, I usually forget to even announce, like, hey, we actually have tithes and offerings going around at the second worship set. We usually have our 9- to 13-year-olds doing it. So if you see a kid with a little basket, that's what's going on. And then Jerry, thankfully, is in the back to catch any role that got missed if you're like, oh, yeah, I forgot to do that. Um, we also have an opportunity to do it online with online giving. This is also not me singling you out because just so you are aware, I don't even know who's giving. Like, by design, I don't want to know necessarily where everybody is at. So if you're ever like, oh, Benny is looking right at me, like, no, that's not not my intention, 
right? If you feel any conviction, that's from God, not from me. Um, and again, my desire is not to shame us into that, right? It's never my desire. Just like my desire with our kids is not to shame them into obedience. Like, no, we're trying to provide boundaries so that they can thrive. We want our kids to thrive. You know what? If a kid wanted to come and dance before the Lord in front here, like, that's awesome. I got no problem with that, right? Bring your mom and dad. They probably need to dance too, right? So, like, that's great. Okay, so we've been talking about Genesis for a while, right? And we've been going through the start and the creation and everything else. And the last couple of weeks have been kind of this slugfest through the Nephilim and the giants and what? And there's this craziness that's going on in the Bible, right? How many of you have like been like, man, I don't know that I've wrestled through some of these weird topics before. Know, there's probably some that are in here, right? And there's just some stuff that's in those first chapters where you're like, whoa, this is kind of crazy. And there's a lot more depth. And there's a lot more stuff that you're like, Benny, I want to hear more because this stuff is fascinating. Come find me. I like to talk. So I will talk. I'll tell you stuff, all right? Um, cool thing is, right? Cool thing is we're still in a decent spot, right? When you're talking about as a church financially and everything else, like if we don't have tithes today, the world is not going to end. Today we're talking about a story where there was a guy where the world was about to end, right? Noah? Right, which is this fascinating thing, because a lot of times, like, we go back into Noah over and over and over again with our kids of, like, and there's these two cute little things that walked down, and then there's these two giraffes. And, like, we make it into this cutesy story of, like, the earth is getting annihilated. Isn't that crazy? Like, when you think about it, and it's like a go-to story, because, like, oh, it's so cute. There's two of them, one of each kind, you know? Cool. You know, um, we like especially in the West, to like highlight the things that we're comfortable with and the things that we like with the story. And there's things that we don't necessarily like that make us uncomfortable that we're like, don't know what to do with that, I'm going to move on, right? Anyways, we're going to talk about that story a little bit today. Um, I know there were some people that were like, hey, I want you to tell me about the dinosaurs and this and that. Um, I don't think I'm going to get into it today a huge amount, but if you're like, hey, I want to hear more about it, please come talk to me and we'll chat. Or if you're like, I think you should do a sermon on it, then I will listen to your feedback. But otherwise, I'm going to keep moving, I think. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about patterns. So in the Bible, we have a number of patterns that we see. And in the last few months, we've been talking about chiasms in the Bible, which is a Hebrew literary thing that they do in order to like focus you in on the biggest points of what is being said. All right, so in Genesis 1-1, you had tofu vavohu, which is chaotic waters and the ruach, the spirit of God that hovered over the waters. And God spoke, which then brought creation and everything into an order. And he separated this from this, and he separated that from that, and he created this thing. And he created this space for us to fill. And then there was testing. And when we see the testing, it's Adam and Eve with this tree. How did they do on that test? Not, not super awesome. Don't throw any stones. I probably would have eaten it too. Not, eh, whatever. You understand. I'm human. Um, okay, here's a bunch of patterns. I'm not going to go through. This is the unclean version of when you start looking at, like, the story of knowing. You're like, oh, there's a lot of numbers. Okay? A lot of numbers. Here it is a little bit cleaner when you start looking at it. And you're like, oh, that's really small. That's why I've handed this piece of paper around. If you're like, I don't have one yet, are there extras that are around? Do we have any more extras? Oh, I should have made more copies today. 
Well, in that case, move up front. I like you, Brent. Move up front. We're going to check the eyes. Or, or sit next. Make a friend that's got a piece of paper. If you don't have one and you want to watch, just make a friend. That's, that's all we're doing. All right. So you've got Noah, right? So here's one of those chiasm things. Here's a story right here through the verses. You got Noah, and it talks about Shem, Ham, Japheth, his sons, and then the ark to be built, and then the flood announced, and then the covenant with Noah, and then food in the ark, and a command to enter the ark, and then seven days of waiting for the flood. Then seven days more waiting for flood, it talks about it, and then uh, everything into the ark, and then you got Yahweh shuts Noah in. Forty days of flood, water increases. You got the mountains covered by water. You have 150 days where the waters keep rising, rising, rising. Then God remembers Noah, all right? And then it goes inverse. So like, then it goes back to, wait, 150 days where the waters start receding. And then the mountaintops become visible again. And then the waters keep going down, and then 40 days at the end there, and then you've got uh, Noah opening up the window, and a raven and a dove leave. You guys get the point, right? Like, this literary tool, when you start looking through Genesis, like, they build on this story, and then they kind of, like, fill in the details here. And the center of it all is God remembering Noah, which is a good thing for Noah, because, right, he just annihilated everything, and, like, if God had forgotten, that's not, not a good thing, Right? So that's kind of what we think, but like, it wasn't that God had forgotten Noah, right? But we're going to get to that in a little bit. Here's a picture of me on the process of going up and over the Himalayan mountain range. And I was with these guys that I was discipling. And we got to about this point, and we were sitting down, looking out over the mountains. There's sometimes you'd look down, and you'd see the clouds below you and the thunderstorms below them. And it was just beautiful. And you're sitting up there, and we're talking, and my friend Brandon goes... When did, like, when did God create this? And I was like, oh, in the flood. And then all of a sudden, I was just like, whoa. Even in all of this devastation, even when he's destroying things, he can't help create. He can't help create beauty, even in the destruction. Isn't that kind of cool? Like, some of us have been in seasons of our life, and if you haven't been, Newsflash, you'll be in seasons of your life where it feels like God is pruning everything off of you with a chainsaw. And it's like, man, my life is falling apart. There is destruction all around me. And I want to encourage you today, even in those moments, he is creating new life. Even in those moments, he is creating something. He says, this is good. Okay? Um, I want to break this down because if we got creation, right, you start looking at the Bible and you're like, okay, God created, and it was a certain pattern, and we talked about the pattern in Genesis 1, right? This pattern of what he was creating over and over again. And I want to look at, okay, what does it look like after the flood, right? And we've got this. So on day one, God's spirit, his ruach, is hovering over the waters, and there's light and there's darkness. And then you look in his story over here with Noah, and it says God's ruach, his wind, blew over the waters, the chaotic waters, right? And Noah, in the story, he gets to a place where he opens the windows, right? And think about this for a second. Like, I had never considered the fact that, like, he had a covering over this ark at some level, and he had covered over the windows. And partly, I think it was to keep the birds in. Some of it is just functional. Like, when I started looking at a lot of different things with, with like, Noah's ark, and there's a whole lot of, like, well, the Noah's Ark is found here, and oh, they found it here. And I, you know, honestly, 
I will lose zero sleep with whatever it is, right? We can talk, if you're like, I want to know all the possibilities where Noah's Ark is, come talk to me and we'll, we'll figure it out. But like, that doesn't shift things for me on the inside. But what is kind of cool is you start looking at it and you're like, okay, I've seen this kind of boat and that kind of boat. And I think my favorite version of is, a, is this boat that actually has this, this uh, I don't remember the exact name. It's a technical name, but it's kind of like this opening that comes in the center of the boat. And it helps it with ballast. But it, what it does is every time that there's a wave, literally it would fresh air up and in and through the whole place. And you'd have this fresh air coming in just from the waves, which is like this fascinating idea. Is that the accurate boat? I don't know. I, I don't know. Um, but I think that there's a lot of really cool stuff about it. We also know that, like, there's a high level of intelligence because God is telling him, hey, I want you to build it exactly this distance, and you're going to have three floors, and you're going to do this, and you're going to use this pitch, and you're going to use this kind of wood. It takes a lot of intelligence to be able to do that stuff, and especially because Noah's like, oh, okay, sounds good. I know how to do that, and he starts doing it, even though there wasn't boats before that. And he's still like, oh, yeah, I can, I can make that, which is really, really cool, right? And these things are huge, huge. You know, I, I was looking, and somebody had done all the math, and I think it was something like two-thirds the size of the Titanic, to give you perspective. Like, it's a big boat. And you're like, well, how did all the animals fit on there? Well, part of it is it talks about each animal and its kind, right? So I don't think there was, like, you know, greyhounds and chihuahuas. And like, there was probably a kind of dog, and there's... You know, like, oh, Benny, so you're talking about evolution. Well, not really. Like, there's adaptation between species. and species, there's a diversification. Like, I also believe, you know, it says in the Bible, too, like, all of the people of the world came from this family and his three sons and the three daughters, right? So there's something in a purity of the genetic code that was there that there's so much, like, ability to, like, mix and match genetic code to have what we have today, right? So... You know, was a horse and a zebra in a, what was it, an okara or whatever they're called? Like, there's all these different animals that look kind of the same, like a donkey. Like, did it start from one kind? Maybe. Probably, right? Did he probably have every single one of those? No. I don't think that he had every single dog, every single animal that way, right? It talks about kinds of animals, kinds of birds, kinds of things. Also, my guess is they probably were, like, baby animals or really young partly because they're smaller and they're easier to feed, but also partly because if they have to, like, repopulate the entire earth afterwards, you probably want to have a lifespan on it so they can reproduce for a long time. Yeah? It's like there's different things when you start looking in, in that, and if you're like, I'm really stuck on did this actually happen, was this really the thing, that, or is this allegorical? There's, like, 500 worldwide stories of the flood from almost every culture. Right? My guess is there was like 500 stories from every culture because there was a flood that happened. I mean, that's my guess, right? So I don't think it's allegorical. I think there actually was a flood. And I think that there was something that changed. And we talked about like some of these people having this extra long lifetime, right? And I think we have to realize like the air quality was probably different. The pressure was probably different. We have a, an entire different ecosystem in some ways than before, and you had animals that live to, you know, size of their container, and, like, as they get older, they keep growing. And so you probably had some that were doing that as well, right? So I'm not lying about any of that. Anyways, back to this creation stuff. So we have the Ruach and the Ruach. We have the light and the darkness. And so you have this section here where Noah opens the window to, to let the light into the darkness. Isn't that kind of cool? 
And then day two, the water separated. Okay, so let's see what happens next in the story. Well, the rain stops, which separates the water above and the water below again, right? And then you've got, you know, and day three is separating the sea from the dry ground. Well, as the water recedes, it separates the sea and the dry ground again. And day four, the sun, moon, stars, and everything for the seasons. And there's a passage in here that talks about how God says, hey, as long as the earth is here, we're going to have sea time, harvest, cold, heat, summer, winter, day and night. And I think that this might have actually triggered something of the seasons that they might not have had quite the same kinds of seasons beforehand. Day five, birds in the air, animals on dry ground, and it says be fruitful and multiply. Well, here with Noah's story, you have him sending out the raven and the dove in the air. It says be fruitful and multiply. Does anybody know why he sent the raven first? What do we know about ravens? They're what? Scavengers? Scavengers, right? So he's not going to come back. The raven's not going to come back if there's food to scavenge, if he can get to flesh that has died in the flood, right? So it helps him know what step they're in. Okay, we're going to send the raven. When the raven doesn't come back, it means he's got food to start doing his thing, right? Start sending the dove, and the dove is going to keep coming back until it has the branches to make a nest. So he's like, oh, okay, now we're at this part of the drying of the ground and things growing again. Fascinating stuff to me. I don't know. Maybe not to you. Anyways, be fruitful and multiply. Day six, you have the land animals and mankind, and it says fruitful and multiply, and it also talks about man's dominion in Genesis, um, the creation story, first creation story. And then here you have Adam and Noah's family come out of the ark, and God says to both to be fruitful and multiply, and he tells man that you're going to have dominion over the animals. Um, for those that were really bothered by when we're talking about in creation, how they started off kind of vegetarian. You can exhale, because this is there's verses in here where it talks about God says, I'm giving you all the meat to eat too, all right? So those of you are like, I knew it was biblical for me to eat meat. There you go. Merry Christmas. Uh, you can go either way. So anyways, then it has space to fill, and they, again, have space to fill. Day seven should be a rest day, right? So if we're looking at, at Noah's story, and you're like, oh, it's one after another after another. Space should be there for rest. But we don't necessarily have like, hey, and here's the day of rest. What we do have is this really confusing passage. Confusing because it like replicates itself over and over again. I'm going to read it. So then God said to Noah and his sons with him, I now establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals and all that came out of the ark with you, every living creature on earth. I established my covenant with you. I thought we already said that. Never again will all life be destroyed in the waters of a flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. You, you just said that twice in a row. Okay. And God said, this is the sign of the covenant that I'm making between me and you and every living creature with you, a covenant for all generations to come. I've set my rainbow in the clouds, and it will be the sign of a covenant between me and the earth. Whenever I bring clouds over the earth and the rainbow appears in the clouds, I remember my covenant between me and you and all the living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. Whenever the rainbow appears in the clouds, I will see it and remember the everlasting covenant between God and all living creatures of every kind on the earth. So God said to Noah, this is the sign of the covenant I have established between me and all life on earth. Is there a lot of replication in that? Okay, anytime that you see passages where it's like replicated over and over again, it's like, 
You said that to me like seven times. Like, ideally, we, we get it. It's like, ideally, when he says it, it's like, oh, God, so wait, so what you're saying is you want to do like a covenant thing? Oh, you can give me a sign? Oh, cool, all right. Um, in Hebrew, so you have a, in this passage, covenant said seven times. Earth said seven times. Clouds, in English, it's four times, but in Hebrew, it's actually five times. And bow, which we translate to rainbow, is three times. Okay? So in this little passage, you have all of that that happens over and over and over and over again. So if you're like, Benny, is this a chiasm? Yes, this is another chiasm within a chiasm. Isn't that awesome? Who's excited? This guy, right? So the question is, what are the chances that the fourth covenant, the fourth earth, the third clouds, and the second rainbow are all in the same passage? Very good. It's in end of 14 and into 15. It says, when the rainbow appears in the clouds... I will remember my covenant between me and you and all living creatures of every kind. Never again will the waters become a flood to destroy all life. So all of this is pointing to this. So before, I was showing you the chiasm of like Noah's life, and, it's, and God remembers Noah, right? He remembers them. And here, it's I'm going to remember my covenant, right? I'm going to remember my covenant not only with Noah, but all mankind, all creatures coming, right? I'm going to remember every time I see that rainbow, which... On earth, we only see rainbows when you have the sun and the rain and, you know, all coming together. And you have this bow, right? We call it this rainbow. Um, the actual Hebrew word is just a bow. What do you use a bow for? Shooting things. It's a weapon. The term is a weapon, and I'm not going to get too, too far into this analogy. But I think it is fascinating that God, in the process of saying, hey, you know what? I'm going to give you this rainbow, and every time I see this rainbow, I'm going to remember my covenant, right? And the thing that you're going to see is a, is a bow in the sky. And which way is that bow heading? It's almost like he's saying, you know what, next time is on me. You know what, the next time that we're going to have death that's coming, I'm taking, I'm taking it, right? Now you're like, Benny, that's a stretch. It is. Um, it's me affirming that, but I like it, so I'm going to tell you. All right? Um, the reason why some of this is important with the, the remembering thing, um, it comes to suzerain vassal covenants, and we'll talk about this other times um, in more in depth, but I just want to give you kind of a little bit of it. Um, historically, suzerain vassal covenants, these types of covenants, a king or a ruler would offer terms of covenant to a vassal, the subject. The suzerain would provide blessing and protection in return for the vassal's tribute. And this actually played over and over again for centuries and centuries and centuries. And it was even with kings. Like you have a strong king next to an area that had like not as strong of a people. Then he would say, okay, you guys have your boundaries. We have our boundaries. If somebody attacks us, we'll work together. But because I'm stronger than you, here's the terms. Here's who I am. Here's what I've done for you. And here's what you're going to give to me for me to be essentially your big brother protecting you. Like, me, like hey, I'm going to have some authority, even though I'm going to give you your space to do your thing. And then they would have this sign that they would share, the sign of the covenant. And both of them would have it. But it was always the vassal's thing that the vassal had to present it, right? So let's say that big king, the ruler who had more authority, came in and wanted to do a move. The other one would say, hey, hold on. I have this sign that says you're not going to do that. We've got a treaty. We're on the same page. But it was up to him to say, Hey, remember this. Remember this. Remember, it was always the vassal that had to say, I remember this. 
right? And what God is saying in this whole passage is not so much like, hey, we're going to have this covenant where you have to remind me of my faithfulness. He's saying, I'm going to put something here for both of us so that I will choose to remember this. I will, like, even if you forget, even if you are unfaithful, even if you go the opposite direction, even if you are evil all the time, which you see in Genesis over and over again, he's like, hey, even if I am putting something there as a suzerain of this covenant, I will remember you and I will be faithful to you because of my covenant. It's powerful. He's talking about patterns. Start. We talked about in Genesis, you had the chaotic waters, the Ruach, God speaking, God bringing things into the right order, and then the testing with Adam and Eve. And here you go, you've got these chaotic waters of a flood. And then as, after this flood, you've got the spirit, the breath of God that goes over the waters, right? And then God's speaking to Noah and saying, hey, buddy, it's time to come out of the ark, right? And then he's bringing things right into order. What do you think is going to be next in, in the passage of Noah? Some testing. Some testing, right? Now, this is newsflash. We'll get into the story next week. But the testing ends up coming with the vineyard. And some of you are like, oh, I know the story with the vineyard, which happens with his sons, right? And Ham in particular. Testing happens. And here's the thing is you see it over and over again, this this archetype that happens multiple times throughout the scriptures. The nice thing is we see this again with, with Jesus, right? Dan was talking this morning about the temptation of Jesus where he had this opportunity, right? And if you step back and look at that story, do we see the same thing? You've got these waters when Jesus is coming down to be baptized and you have this spirit that hovers over the waters, and you have God speaking, this is my son who I am well pleased. It shifts something new. There's a new creation that's happening. There's something that's happening that he's doing where God's putting everything in the world back into a right order, right? And then immediately the spirit takes him out in the desert for what? To get hungry so he can get tested. Now, thank the good Lord that Jesus broke this cycle because up until this cycle... Every other time you see it in the Old Testament, it's not good news. It's not good news. The good news is, is Jesus is like, hey, not my will, but yours. Like, I, I'm not going to do this for me. I'm not trying to make a name for myself. It's not about me, which is a fascinating thing, because all these other ones, they keep struggling. They keep working out of their own strength instead of following the Spirit, their own strength instead of trusting His Word, their own strength, and Jesus is laying it down. We're going to go into a time of uh, communion. And, and while we're doing that, I got a few reflections for you. I'm going to take some time to do it. But I, I want you to consider that God has created everything, even in destruction he creates. That God chooses to remember his faithfulness on our behalf. That God's spirit brings life and order. And he brings life out of death, Right? You've got this whole destruction of all mankind, and he still brings life. He still holds on to life out of it, right? God still speaks today. Some of you are like, I need to hear it. He still does. Wait on him. Go into a quiet spot. Stop scrolling. Part of the process of creating is testing. Don't be offended if you are 
tested. It's an opportunity. Like I'm, my guess is he already knows how you're going to do. Like it's a benchmark for you to realize your growth and how much you've come far, but also, hey, you know what? In the end, I need him for everything, right? It brings us back to an intimacy with him where it's like, whew, I'm not very good at this. That's okay. He's got a lot of grace. He understands. He knows. All right, if I could have a couple people come on up and just pass these around um, for a minute. Thank you, gentlemen. Go ahead and just take some time to think about what he's done. When we take communion, it's, a, it's another one of those reminders that those of us that are in Christ where we say, you know what, I have joined him in the death hole and joined him in life. I have joined him in his, he's gone through the fire, he's gone through the testing, and I'm going to decide I'm, I'm with him, I'm connected. That he's taken us from death into life and that he's creating new things in us and through us. And he's created us in his image, which means that he wants to create in the world around us life. I'll give you some time to just spend with him while we pass those out. Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it. He gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after. And he said, This cup is the new covenant established in my blood. It is shed for you. Worship team, come on up. Even in this Genesis passage, you have God talk about the shedding of blood. And you have Jesus fulfilling with the shedding of his blood, following that covenant 
being faithful on our behalf, even when we're not faithful. In a second, we're going to go into a time of worship. Some of you just need to just sit where you're at still and just, just chew, just reflect. Some of you need to sing worship to him. Some of you just need to, to listen. Um, if you need more prayer, come on up to the front. Somebody will come pray around you. God, I am I'm thankful that you were faithful even when we were not faithful, that you are good even when our hearts have evil. God, I'm thankful that you have patience, incredible amounts of patience. God, I love that you know when to stop creating and you know when to stop destroying. God, I love that you like redeeming, that you enjoy restoring, and that you delight in us. God, so many times we have a hard time seeing the good that you've designed in us and seeing the faithful things that you want to do in our lives. God, we repent of those times. We repent of our perspective. And God, we just ask that you would, you would give us eyes to see you clearly, see your purity around us, see your faithfulness in our lives. God, whether we are in a time of testing, have come from a time of testing, or a time of testing is coming, God, may you be gracious to us. May you give us the strength to walk through what we need to walk through. And may we learn, like Jesus, to lay it down and not do it all by our own strength, but to trust in your words and to trust in your spirit. Heavenly Father, just thank you. You're good. 